Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings of this conference. Um, and we thank you so much for teaching us, for speaking to our hearts through the appeals, the messages, uh, where we have been revived. And Lord, there's also been some reformation also going on in our lives as well. And we just want to pray that as we move forward with uh, a new purpose, a new identi identity in you, that we will also have in mind the destiny that you have outlined for us as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, living at this period of time. We thank you, Lord, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Possessing the land, empowerment through right destiny. Throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, you have the, uh, this, I guess, this sequence of promise. Uh, theologians speak of this sequence of promise and fulfillment. Promise, fulfillment. Promises are given by God, and then you see their fulfillment. One of the things that I uh, have added in there is within this sequence, you always see with it, with the promise, obstacles. And here you have a picture of the Red Sea. Now, is that, was that a pretty big obstacle? Uh, you better believe it, because how many of you have walked on water, like Peter? How many of you have walked through water, like the ancient Israelites? I don't think any of us have done that before. And we're going to detail how God... Uh, or throughout scripture we see this sequence from promise to fulfillment but before fulfillment is attained or achieved there are always obstacles that are, are put in the path of those who are marching towards Zion so let's start with the call of Abraham the call of Abraham and what was the promise to Abraham well, the promise to Abraham involved a number of things, and of course, we're, we're not being exhaustive here. I'm just picking a few stories and a few things throughout Scripture here. But the promise, we know, was that uh, the Messiah, that all uh, would be the, the coming of the Messiah, that all families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's seed. And uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 3. You can mark that down. You also have the promise to Abraham of territory. You see that in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 15. The possession of Canaan for uh, his posterity. And then finally... Uh, you have this promise to Abraham of posterity, because at that point, he was child, childless. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, uh, verse 5, uh, we know this story very well. And I'm going to, before we mention that, how many of you have looked up into the dark sky uh, at, in a night where you're not in a big city? Because if you're in Toronto, you're not going to see stars. You're going to see buildings and their lights, right? How many of you have been out in the boondocks? You know, I, I'm from North Carolina. I'm actually a southerner, as some would call 
um, a, a hick, you know, but I, I'm Korean, so I never pass for that. But, but uh, in, in North Carolina, we live kind of out in the woods, and, uh, and when you look out into the bright sky, into the night sky, you don't quite see it with this type of clarity, but you, you can see stars. And how many of you have done that before? And we're just in awe. How many of you love looking at stars? How many of you like imagining, I wonder if there are people on, you know, around over there? And I, love, I love stars because it brings me to a sense of awe and inspiration that there's a God in heaven. So Abraham was looking at the sky and he was in awe. And the Bible says that God told him, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, and we're going to read 5 uh, through 6, verses 5 through 6. One who will come from your own body shall be your heir. God had to get more specific after that. One's going to come from Sarah, because he didn't get the, the right idea there, the, the right picture. And you see this progression where, uh, uh, throughout Scripture, if you study it. Now, and then God brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And so Abraham, in awe, is looking at them. He says, Lord, I can't count them. I can't even, I can't even count one little section. And God said to Abraham, So shall your descendants be. So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And God accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. But there were obstacles, as Henry Ford says, uh, are the, uh, obstacles are those frightful things that you see when you take your eyes off your goal. And he certainly took his eyes, in, in a way, off the promises of God. And he had some legitimate, I'm talking human, humanly speaking, he had some le legitimate excuses. Because first of all, how old was he? He was old, right? Uh, if you, and so one of the obstacles I put up here is the obstacle of time. And, um, and, and I'll share with you in what sense. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, we see the age of Abraham when he left Haran. And how old was he when he left Haran? He was 75 years of age. Is that, is that pretty old to begin your child? planning career. It's pretty old, right? The Bible says, so Abraham, in Genesis 12, 4, so Abraham and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Alright, now, how old was Abraham when he had, uh, through uh, his um, servant, or his wife's servant, Hagar, how old was Abraham at that time? Well, the Bible says in Genesis 16:3, then Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, and gave her to her husband after Abram had dwelt t 10 years in the land of Canaan. So initially this promise is given. Look at the stars. Wow. So shall your seed be one year. Okay, Lord, two years, three years, five years. How many of you have waited 10 years on God before? How many of you have waited 10 years in your life for marriage and you're still waiting and counting? It was, it was a part of my life for a little while. 
So Abraham had dwelt 10 years. So how old was he when, when um, uh, Ishmael was born? Well, in Genesis 16, 16, it says Abraham, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now how old was Abram or Abraham at that point when he um, had Isaac? When he was actually born. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So even from this point of 86 to 100, 86, 87, 88, 89, Lord, so shall your seed be? So shall, so shall my seed be, rather? 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. How many of you have ever waited on God for almost 25 years? Some of you in this room, maybe many of you in this room, are not even 25 years of age. And yet he waited, right, almost a quarter of a century before his son Isaac was born. So we have time. We as Adventists have been proclaiming the message of God, of Jesus' soon return. And it involves time. It involves a waiting period where the word of God itself tests through time whether there will be a fulfillment or not. So God uses time sometimes to strengthen our faith. And that's why, and, and uh, that's a later slide. But the second component I do want to mention before we get there is you have the obstacle of age. And I've already uh, alluded to that. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, uh, speaking of Sarah, the Bible says that she was past the age. Those are the words that Paul, I believe Paul, uses to describe um, uh, Sarah's situation. She was past the age. Speaking of Abraham, I like how uh, Paul puts it here, he was as good as dead. He was good, as good as dead when he had a child, uh, when he finally had Isaac. And Paul had a sense of humor, as good as dead. You see that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. So time, age, Right? There are many, many faithful old grandmothers and grandfathers who have been waiting through time, and now they're old, waiting for the reception of the promises, the fulfillment of the promises of God. And many of them now are as good as dead. But you have a fulfillment, and I'm going to read, and, and we know what the fulfillment is. Uh, you know, he, eventually Isaac was born through a miracle, and God often brings us to the point of impossibility, because she was past the age, the Bible says, and yet God brought life to these dead bones, as we heard the message last night. And in Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, verses 11 through 15, and by the way, this is a healthy way of comparing and using Scripture to explain Scripture. A lot of times you see a lot of mystical interpretations that are out there, and we need to faithfully, rightly, uh, Paul says, rightly dividing the words of truth. 
And in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through 15, it says this, speaking of this fulfillment, verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, and you'll see it's in the context of Abraham, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the what? Until the end. Until the end. Verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. How many of you are feeling sluggish this morning? I'm seeing some yawns out there, including myself. I'm doing it internally, because it would be bad if I yawned. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience, they are related, they are related. Faith stands in time. And in order to have faith in time, you must be patient. And through patience we inherit the promises. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. Verse 15, and so after, after, only until then, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. He obtained the promise of God, and there was a fulfillment. Do you see that in scripture? Promise, obstacle, fulfillment. Another example of Israel in Egypt. We have the promise in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. That promise, by the way, was originally made to Abraham. And uh, that was really a prophecy. A prophecy. Because God told Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. He's speaking of Egypt here. And we and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, the Egyptians, I will judge. And afterward, isn't this a great promise? They shall come out. Are we going to come out of this earth to the heavenly Canaan? Can we believe that? They shall come out. We shall come out. This was the promise. But there were some obstacles. And what was the primary obstacle? When you think of the obstacle of the ancient Israelites in leaving Egypt, it was Pharaoh. No question about it. Uh, who represents in many ways Satan in, in our context, who is impeding uh, the progress of leaving Egypt, both spiritually and, and, and in reality. So you have uh, in Exodus, and I'm going to go through uh, multiple verses here. We, we'll be reading from verse, uh, Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Also chapter 2, uh, verses 23 through 24. And also Exodus chapter 12 and 40 through 41. But you can see it all here on this screen here. The Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And, and of course, by default, Pharaoh made them serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. And I love these passages in Scripture. The children of Israel, they groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because 
of the bondage. And what do you think God did? I love these next three words. That's all you need. And the sermon is, is done. The Bible says, so God heard. He heard. He heard their groaning. And then God, he remembered. What do you think it is he remembered? His promise, that's right. The Bible says, God remembered his covenant or his promise with Abraham. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. And now, and then skipping later on, we're going to see the fulfillment. So you had the, the obstacle up there with uh, the Egyptians. Uh, you have a reference back to the promise. And then now you have the fulfillment in Exodus chapter 12, verses 40 through 41. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And by the way, you do have a reference that, that they would be for, uh, in Egypt for 400 years as told to Abraham. We don't ha have time to delve into that, but I would advise you to go to the SDA Bible commentary. Uh, it has an explanation for the difference of 400 years and the uh, added 30 years uh, to that. So I would invite you to, to do that uh, little study. And the Bible says, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass, all the armies, all the people of Israel, went out from the land of Egypt. They went out from the land of Egypt. Now, one thing I want us to make note of is that we need to connect prayer with promise. We have to. And what God often does, and you're going to see this throughout Scripture, you have a promise, and then you have the approaching time where, and the context in which that promise must take place. And then there's a reading and a God, and a reading and a God, and a, and a, a patience that we are developing where time tests the Word of God in our lives. And this interaction that takes place. See, I believe that, and, and I appreciate Martin's, uh, Brother Martin's emphasis on prayer, that when we come to a place where we start wrestling with God and say, Lord, I will not let this promise go. I will not let this go until you fulfill it. Until we start praying that prayer, Ellen White speaks of it this way, that we need to take uh, the promises of God by force. She uses the language force. And what we mean by that is not you take out your gun or anything like that. I know it's outlawed in, in or, you know, Americans are big on guns. I, I like the more Canadian um, uh, laws on that. But anyway, um, but she says that we need to take it by force. Meaning we, we come to a place where we say, Lord, it's either the fulfillment of the promises or I die. And you, you say, I will not let you go until you bless me. When we manifest that kind of faith, God cannot but come. God cannot but fulfill his promises. And uh, we, we need to remember this. This is, this is vital, and I think that's what we're missing out on today. Whoops. 
So, give you another example. Ancient Israel before Canaan. And of course, the promise. Right? Once they left Egypt, once they were headed towards the promised land, and of course, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, God tells Moses, and this is in the, within the context of Mount Sinai, because they stayed there for a little while, and uh, God tells uh, uh, Moses to depart, to go up from here, you and the people, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. I've entitled this, or in, somewhere in the title, you, you see the words, possessing the land. And this is what I'm referring to. God promised his descendants Abraham's descendants, that he would give them the land, and of course to his sons as well. And this is the promise. But there were obstacles, again. And what were those obstacles? What were those obstacles? Is your, is your obstacle sleepiness and weariness? <laughs> what does grasshopper have, grasshoppers, what do grasshoppers have anything to do with the obstacles? Well, the Bible says that they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And that was an obstacle. If you read in scripture, and by the way, this is, uh, this is where you get the biblical concept of self-consciousness uh, or low self-esteem. You know, and I, I'm not into enhance, we're, we're, I'm not that we, I believe we should uh, push, a, 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 I guess, a philosophy of, of self-esteem. But they really had this low concept of themselves because they did not perceive themselves or see themselves uh, in light of the promises of God. They saw themselves in light of, you would say, human reality. But there was a spiritual reality. And let, let's read this. The people who live in the land, and these are the obstacles. The people in the land. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, verses 28, 32, and 33, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified, and they are very large, the Bible says. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And then skipping uh, on, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers. How many of you are grasshoppers this morning? Or how many of you encourage, are encouraged by the word of God? Ready to move forward in his power. But the Bible says they saw themselves like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so we were in, that, in their sight. It's kind of like you look in the mirror. I've had a lot of pictures having, uh, dealing with that. They looked in the mirror and they saw grasshopper. They saw grasshopper. But then you have the fulfillment. In Joshua chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, you have a whole generation uh, uh, before this happens that, that you know, the, the forefathers that, that passed away. And uh, eventually their children came on through, uh, plus uh, Joshua and Caleb. And you see in Joshua chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, 
also in chapter 5 verse 12 and also chapter 6 verses 20 and 21 the Bible says so the people crossed Jordan opposite of Jericho and they crossed on dry ground the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so they're in the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna but they ate some of the yield of the land and the people shouted with a great shout and the wall Jericho fell down flat so that the people went up into the city the first real major victory uh, through a series of victories and failures that God gave to his people and of course the promise of of possessing the land was deterred deterred by their unfaithfulness and so God injected another plan you see in Deuteronomy the, the beginning chapters where God says he's no longer going to give uh, his people the entire land but he would, use, uh, he would allow uh, uh, some of the nations to remain there and use them to really build their faith. And uh, that's what obstacles often do. And you can read that in Deuteronomy. So now you have the fulfillment. They enter Canaan. And then we know the experience. Was it all smooth sailing from there? Were they just riding the wave home until Jesus came? Not really, not really. Their lives were very much like ours and our struggles. Let's skip down, uh, go down some hundreds and hundreds of years later and uh, go to the Babylonian captivity. Now, of course, the northern tribe of Israel, uh, the, the, the kingdom of, of the Jews, were, was split in, into two and there were political reasons and so forth. And, um, and so Israel, uh, through the, in their apostasy over the years, uh, you had, had multiple prophets um, uh, pleading with them, but they fell in around 720, 720, 721, 722, somewhere around there. The northern tribe of Israel fell to the Assyrians. And of course, that was uh, supposed to be a lesson for what would take place with Judah if they also did not repent and turn from their evil ways of idolatry, uh, etc. But eventually, uh, they also fell, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, and they were uh, taken captive uh, by Babylon. And this, the first series, when, when Daniel was initially taken to Babylon, the year was 605 B.C., and of course, there was uh, uh, three deportations, really, uh, some that, uh, that occurred after that, two more. And so you have this Babylonian captivity, but years before and during that time, uh, you have the promise given to the ancient Israelites that in their distress, that in their captivity, that it would be a limited captivity. And he promised to them in Jeremiah chapter 20, 25, uh, verse 12 and 14, and you can read it uh, in multiple chapters around Jeremiah 25. He said, after 70, 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place, Jerusalem. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. How many of you want to be brought back from, the, from captivity, from bondage, 
And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Seventy years. Seventy years. And we know Daniel was taken captive as a young man. As a young man. And um, he was around. Did you know that? He was around around the time when the 70 years were about to be completed. We know this. And, uh, and, and if you go to Daniel, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see the obstacle and, and the prayer of Daniel and how they're related together. But politically speaking, uh, in the first year of, of Darius's reign, you see this in Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel was doing a Bible study in Jeremiah. And it says here that he observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Is, that a, is he a good example to follow in Bible study? So he's looking at this and he knows that it's just a few years off. And contextually, we know that Persia was now, had overtaken Babylon and, uh, and he didn't know, he didn't know how in the world this promise given to Jeremiah was going to be fulfilled. Because circumstantially, it did not appear that way. Another factor was that spiritually speaking, and we, we see this because it took place, but God's own people were not ready to go back to Jerusalem. Just like today, we are still here because many of us still want to be here. And that was one of the issues that many of God's people actually stayed in Babylon. Many of them stayed in Babylon. It was only a small minority that actually came back. They were comfortable in Babylon. Like the ancient, the, 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 their forefathers before them, when they actually came out, they were still desiring, Edwin, the garlic of Egypt. The garlic of Egypt, that's right. And the leeks and onions and so forth that make food tasty. They didn't, they didn't have that. They didn't have that. And so the word of the Lord tested Daniel. And he sees how in the world is the word of God going to be fulfilled. I don't see it. I only see obstacles. And so this prayer comes up before the Lord. As he is doing this Bible study. And you see again, once again, the, the connection or the interaction of promise, prayer, obstacle. The word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. He was counting. He was counting. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. He confessed, O Lord, who keeps his covenant. Again, he's referring. He's referring to Jeremiah here. Who keeps his covenant, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts. Let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his 
supplications. And do you think God answered that prayer? Of course. He, of course he did. And then you have fulfillment of the 70 years upon his death of Darius that we were just referring to. Within about two years of the fall of Babylon, Cyrus succeeded to the throne. That was about 537 B.C. And, um, and, uh, and the beginning of his reign, Cyrus's reign, marked the completion of the 70 years since the first company of Hebrews had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar from their, Jude from their Judean home to Babylon in 605 B.C. And you can actually calculate. You take 605, you add 70 years, and it comes to uh, around 536 B.C. And, and, and some of the dating uh, of antiquity, it's always plus or minus sometimes a year or two. Uh, and there are also different systems of, uh, and ways of, of doing chronology that were used by different peoples back then. And we don't have time to get into that. But you do see this fulfillment, a literal fulfillment of this prophecy. And, um, and praise God for that. Now after the captivity, of course, the Jerusalem was to be rebuilt, uh, even in troublous times. And, um, but... God's promise was also that, uh, that the temple, that God's temple, his sanctuary, would also be rebuilt. And it would come through uh, the hands of, or the decree of Cyrus. And it was actually completed in 615, but we're jumping ahead to the fulfillment here, because uh, if you read in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, you, you, you find the promise years before, and the Bible says, it is I, God speaking here, who says of Cyrus, he calls him by name, years ahead, he is my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, you will be founded. And that was the promise of God, to restore the temple, countless of years before. And Cyrus's decree to rebuild the temple uh, was issued in 538-537 B.C. Uh, under Zerubbabel's uh, leadership. And you can read about the account in Ezra. And, uh, and if you attach it to Nehemiah, it's a, it's a marvelous account. And of course, we don't have time to go there. But this, uh, you have this, this promise. And Cyrus actually fulfills it. In Ezra chapter 6, verse 3, uh, Cyrus... Uh, you, you have the words of this decree uh, by Cyrus, and it states there, Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the temple, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt, and let its foundations be retained. And um, so we have the decree of Cyrus to rebuild the temple. What were the obstacles? That's right. Uh, the Samaritans. So you had, you had an external obstacle, like so many of us do. External obstacle. They also had an internal obstacle themselves. And if you read in Haggai, chapter 1, verse 2, also verses 3 through 4 and verse 9, is what I'll be reading from here. In the year 520 B.C., you know, roughly... 
you know, uh, close to 20 years, around 20 years from that initial decree, the temple was still not rebuilt because of the obstacles that were put forth by the Samaritans that impeded the progress of the work. But they had other issues. It wasn't just out there. But a lot of times the reason why scripture isn't fulfilled is because the problem is in here. And our own focus, our own uh, purposes in life. And so when you look in the year 520 B.C., uh, these are the words from Haggai, uh, the words of God, to the people living during that time. After it had been, uh, the, the progress of the work had been stalled. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, so now he's describing the condition or the mindset of the Israelites during that period of time. And this is what they were saying. The time hasn't come. Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. They weren't reading scripture. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time? Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses? They were so busy building their own homes. They had neglected building God's home following after the path of materialism and uh, the, the, the joys of, of, of the world. Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house or the temple lies desolate? God asks. My house lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. And uh, wouldn't you say that that describes our condition today? And of course, you eventually have the fulfillment in a 515. In Ezra, you can read about it in Ezra chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. And the elders of the Jews, it says, were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they finished building according to the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this temple was completed on the third day of the month Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And that's a different Darius than what we saw in, in Daniel, by the way. Uh, so, uh, and that was in 515 BC. Again, you have time that, that tests or proves the word of God in our lives. I want to close with a challenge. What is our destiny? What is our destiny? What are our promises waiting to be fulfilled? What are they? I put a, a few up here, and you know, I don't have text to go through each one. But let's just think about it as, as Seventh-day Adventists. We, we have many promises that we are waiting for to be fulfilled. And um, Probably the biggest one is the second coming, right? The second, we're all awaiting the second coming. And, and Second Peter talks about how people at the end of time will make this uh, claim or, or state um, the context of the time in this way. Now, where is the promise? We've heard it. Our fathers have been preaching it and preaching it. And it's gone through time. And over time, there is no fulfillment. Well, things are just 
going on and maybe God is not going to come. And uh, this is the mindset that many of us are taking on. And we have to remember that God's word, as we have shown, is always fulfilled. And some of us may have to wait 25 years. Some of us may have to wait 70 years. Some of us may die and have to say, take my bones to Canaan. But I know God's going to deliver us, so just take my bones because I, my home is there. As the words of, from the words of Joseph. Take my bones. He believed in fulfillment. He saw the promise. He believed that it would be fulfilled. So you have the promise, many promises for us today. The gospel is going to go to every kindred, tongue, and people. Are you waiting for that promise? Are you pleading with God for the fulfillment of these promises? The promise of heaven, the promise of salvation, the promise of Pentecost, he will do it again. The promise of the latter rain, the promise of uh, the enforcement of Sunday observance, for example, revival and reformation that will take place. The, the promise of a shaking that will take place. How many of you love this promise? That the dead in Christ will rise again. The promise of a new heaven and a new earth. There are so many promises waiting fulfillment. But there are obstacles, friends. What would you say are some obstacles? And I, I just want to, uh, can you think, the, what, what comes to mind when you think of obstacles? Can you identify with Abraham in some ways? Time, age, right? What else? Trials? <laughs> Facebook? Focusing on our own homes and neglecting the house, the people of God, and the upbuilding of God's church. We have our obstacles as well. And I want to leave you with this challenge because all those promises have yet to be fulfilled. And yet God is waiting for Daniels to get on their knees. He's waiting for people to realize that they are in bondage. The, the thing that Satan loves to do, remember with the Laodicean condition, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and they knew not, they know not. We're in bondage today, but Satan has us deceived into thinking that we're free. Into thinking that the promised land is the American dream. Not understanding that we are held in captive to Satan and the bondage of sin. And God is waiting for a people to wake up, to, to have a correct view of purpose, a correct view of identity, of mission, so that his word can be fulfilled in this generation. How many of you want to go home to the heavenly Canaan? And I believe it takes a group of people just like this who are willing to come at 7 a.m. in the morning to hear the words of God. And when we have a people that begin to wrestle, as did Jacob, 
And we began to say, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Until we force, and I say this humbly, until we force God's hand. We force his hand and say, Lord, here's a group of people that are ready. Because you read in Revelation chapter 7, right? The winds of strife are not less let loose until the servants of God are sealed with the character of God in their foreheads. And that's what God ultimately is waiting for, to have a people that truly represents him, so that when he, as talked about last night, as it is blown upon us, as we start doing marvelous things, we will not say, look at Andy M. I am speaking Russian and Spanish. Right? As we are being transported place to place, we are not saying, I have the power to jump time zones in a single bound. When God pours out his blessings, he needs a people that have decided beforehand that they will take no credit for the, to themselves. Period. And then God knows that it is time. That it is time to pour out his spirit because now he trusts us with the power of the spirit. He trusts us. And that we are ready, that when we get to heaven, when we get into heaven and go through those pearly gates, that we will have no quarrels with our next door neighbor. That we will not hurt God's fellow children. That we truly love each other, not just in deed, but in spirit. That we don't just love them, we like them. Right? We love and like everybody. And when God sees a people who are not possessive of possessions, but are willing to say, Lord, I don't consider any of my possessions my own, but they are all held in common. When we are ready, God will say, it is time. Because there is now people that I can trust will finish the work of God. Do you want to be among that group of people. By the way, it's not, as we spoke about earlier, it's not just your decision that affects it, uh, that, that, uh, that fulfills that promise. It is only by complete surrender, and only God can give us that surrender. That when we say, God, I can't even give you my heart, just take it. Take my sin-polluted self. That's the only decision I can make. And God will honor that. And His work will go forward to completion. If that is your prayer and if that is your desire, I'd like all uh, for you to stand. And as we stand, we're going to have a prayer of dedication that God's promises can be fulfilled by His grace in this generation. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we see throughout history promise and impossibility of fulfillment. Humanly speaking, we see impediments, obstacles. And you bring us always to this point where it is impossible for your promise to be fulfilled in human strength, in human power. And sometimes you even, you even 
go out of your way to make your own promises impossible by reducing Gideon's army from thousands to several hundred so that we can understand and come to the realization that when your promises are truly fulfilled, we will say it is all of God and all glory goes back to him. This is the kind and type of faith that we want to have. As the book of Revelation describes the faith of Jesus, the faith of Jacob that states, that declares, I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, I believe, we believe. Help thou mine unbelief. We ask for the fulfillment of your promises. In spite of our weaknesses, grow us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.